I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show do you have any questions or anything no no it seems pretty straightforward so that's what i like to think so many so many so many damn books hello out there in listener land and welcome. My name is Christopher, and this is So Many Damn Books, A Blessing, A Curse, A Podcast. I am joined in the damn library hyperspace by Ashley Hudson. Ashley, I am so excited to have you here. Ashley Hudson is a writer living in rural Maryland. Her work has appeared in Granta, Electric Literature, Catapult, Fanzine, and elsewhere. And she is the author of One's Company. Definitely, I think it's this is my favorite novel of 2022. I absolutely loved it. I I can't stop telling people to go and read it. And now I'm so excited that you just wanted to come on and talk to me. Hi. Wow. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Well, this is a this is a real treat. One of the things that um the book one's company the title refers to is the sitcom three's company and so when we were talking about the um i that i make a drink inspired by the show you were saying that you don't really drink which is totally i mean i make mocktails all the time but then you said that mrs roper her drink of choice is just gin on ice is that right gin on the rocks baby yeah, yeah. um and there are a couple others i was going to suggest from the show there was the bangkok banger okay <laughs> but that's like a fictional like i looked i tried to google that to see if that was a real drink but i think it was just something made up for the show and then there was um the tripper spritzer which is white wine uh club soda and a splash of grenadine oh um, i've never had it but <laughs> yeah, it sounds you know just the word grenadine is exciting so yeah no that sounds like a nice drink um it, it almost sounds like a like an 80s version of an aperol spritz or something yes it could yeah i've been meaning and been interested in trying some of the there's so many zero proof non-alcoholic gins out there oh and, god really yeah there's <laughs> I can't like, even imagine <laughs> there's this place uh nearby i'm gonna give them a shout out they didn't do, do anything for this other than being a cool store they're called minus moonshine and it's it's all a zero proof liquor store and they have an entire shelf of zero alcohol gin. And, um, uh, I tried a few of them there. I, I mean, they're so strange. It's a strange tasting thing to try to make gin that doesn't taste like it has alcohol in it. Uh, it's, it's an odd world. And I was thinking as I was pouring it and had some over ice, I was just like, this is, as, <laughs> this is the same way I feel about gin over ice regular gin over ice which is like no thank you (laughs) (laughs) i i love gin i'm a gin drinker i would say it's my like number one um liquor i still can't i can't i don't like it straight so (laughs) so i think mrs roper is crazy but um gin is also the basis of one of my absolute favorite cocktails and it's of course having a moment or or a long time it's the epoch of the negroni which I think is the perfect three's company cocktail because it is just three ingredients right. in equal parts. Yeah. It's very yeah. fun. And so uh, St. Agrestes is making a, they're bottling something that they're calling a phony Negroni. Um, and so it's a completely non-alcoholic version of that. And that's what I have here. It's really wonderful. It's a little bubbly, which Negronis aren't. Um, 
it's more like the Negroni Spagliato that is on TikTok and everything. Um, and it's delicious. I, I am totally blown back by how good this tastes. Um, it's got that bitter finish that you want from a Negroni, but it's got that sweetness. It's round. Um, but I, I mean, I don't even miss the liquor. It's just a really nice, a really nice drink. So I appreciate you sending me <laughs> on this odyssey of trying some different and um, I will say my favorite of the gins just on their own was Ritual, um, which had this sort of lemon, herby, cucumber finish, which was the one that I liked the most straight. So if you if if folks out there are trying to cut back or just want to have a drink without having a drink, I think Ritual does a nice gin substitute. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I had no idea there was a I mean, I'm not surprised, I guess, but I had no idea there was such a market for non-alcoholic uh, impressions of real alcoholic drinks. It, it's so strange, but, um, but that's awesome. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you for the journey. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it really is. I really am enjoying this. It's a really nice. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. The next part of the show is a naked celebration of capitalism. Have you been sent any cool books recently or have you purchased anything wonderful? Well, you know, I don't really purchase a lot of books. I, I go to the library a lot, so I'm more of a library book kind of person. But does that count? Yeah, no, that definitely counts. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I recently read The Empire of Dirt by Francesca Manfredi. I hope I'm saying her name right. Mm. What made you pick it up off the shelf? Well, when I read it, I was working at a library. And, um, and the great thing about working at a library is that when people return books, um, you can just see it's like a randomized way of acquiring you know expanding your reading horizons I guess and so yeah that was just something somebody randomly returned and I really like the cover and I really like the title and yeah and so it's I really like the book title yeah yeah right so um what's it about um it's about a girl uh who she and her mother and grandmother live in this sort of almost like magical realist um, setting in this big house and different things keep happening, like very strange things like, uh, like insect plagues and, um, you know, blight and just unexplained things. Then I like the book because it, it sort of has this overall atmosphere of, of mystery and dread and, um, but it's also a coming of age story, which isn't really usually my thing, but it was really interesting. And, uh, and I really like the setting. It was just, it was a good summer read. I would recommend it for a summer. Mm. I read sort of seasonally. Sure. I, I choose my books according to what the season feels like. So that was, I would recommend that one for summer. Do you have a winter book as winter comes upon us? Yes. Um, I'm thinking of ending things by Ian Reed. Oh yeah. That's an amazing book. I've actually reread that a couple times in November because I read it for the first time in November and it was a very Novembery book. So yes, I highly recommend. I, I would say it was even adapted. Interestingly. Have you seen the adaptation? Yes. yes I did see the movie and I, it was a good movie, but um, I do enjoy the book more. Yeah. The book kind of blew my mind, to be honest. It really? Was, yeah, like I feel like it was one of the the best books that I've read. It was one of the best reading experiences that I'd had in, I don't know, like maybe ever. So um, that's high praise. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it's probably up there in my top 10. Um, so, I mean, as an adult, I don't really reread books a lot. So the fact that I reread that one uh, twice is significant. Yeah, that's notable. Yeah. 
I picked up or I was sent a couple things that I was very I'm very excited about. Um I ha- I feel very I don't know. I guess blessed. That's not the word I'm going to I really want to say though. Anyway, White Cat Black Dog, the new Kelly Link story collection that comes out uh March of next year. Um I was lucky enough to be sent a a galley and I'm so excited. I her short story collections are always just my favorite they always end up one of my absolute favorite things i read and uh you know it's got a dog a a black dog emerging from a coconut on the cover you know like that's (laughs) how can how can that how can you resist that yeah that's amazing (laughs) and then i also got sent this um this book my dirty california by jason mossberg and it seems like a completely non-traditional thriller about um an older brother gets out of prison and comes home and um, almost immediately is murdered along with um, his father. And the older brother is sort of tasks himself with finding out what the hell happened oh, um, and ends up in like a very seedy world and like a documentarian who's trying to prove that the world is a simulation, like all sorts of weird um yeah, my dirty California seems like it's gonna live up to its title. I was gonna say, I'm the title would sell me on that book. I, <laughs> I wouldn't even care what it was about. I would read it. So yeah, yeah. I feel like so many titles end up trying to be evocative um, and sort of point towards something, and that one is just—it's right on the, my yes. dirty California. Just, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Very few books are that um, straightforward right from the the get-go. I can't wait anymore. I really really am so excited to talk to you about your novel, One's Company. Can you tell the listeners what the book is about if they haven't encountered it yet? I would say it's about, it follows Bonnie, who endures some bad things in her life and then she wins the lottery and she has become obsessed with the show three's company and so she decides to move to the middle of nowhere and rebuild the the set of the sitcom and and live inside it as each of the characters to sort of escape her own identity and her own past and other people and just sort of go inward to the point of absurdity so yes yeah but you don't take don't take my word for it (laughs) (laughs) that might be what it's about but of course it's concerned with a lot more than that i guess just to start off talk to me about the lottery and, and writing a lottery winner story is this your first story about a lottery winner what what made you interested in that sort of windfall to start you off? That's such a great question. No one's asked me that about my book before. Um, well, everyone needs money to live because being alive is expensive. And I don't think one can indulge an obsession to its fullest extent just in the normal waking world, I think. But if you, yeah, I mean, if you become a millionaire or a billionaire, you sort of have the resources and the means to truly take something to the next level, like explore your deepest, sometimes darkest fantasies, but sometimes your, your most transcendent fantasies. And Mm. so I feel like the lottery was more like um, a plot device, to be honest. Um, I didn't want to have a character that was born into money. I felt like it was really necessary to have a, a character that was, she was normal. She had a, you know, a regular life. And then this sort of turn of luck um, changed her life and changed her, her path. So. Um, right. Disrupted I mean, her normalcy. Yeah. I like without winning the lottery, she would just be the crazy lady down the block who, you know, collects a lot of three's company themed tv guides or something right. <laughs> yeah so yeah like i think you almost need 
the money to for the rest of the story to happen i mean it makes me kind of think of it's like the opposite of apocalypse literature where like you take away everything and then whatever's left it like gains new valence instead you're like okay now she has everything so what does she to go get um and like that's a that's a completely different motivating factor than i need to survive and it's just like okay i can survive forever so what do i want to do right yeah i mean there's really no way of getting around it i mean unless i want to write some kind of science fiction or or true like high you know fantasy novel i mean there's really no way to write a realistic character mm. in this day and age um that executes a big idea without some kind of monetary windfall and i mean in bonnie's case she's i mean she's not gonna go to college and become some kind of entrepreneur and what have you you know like a wizard of finance like that that just wouldn't happen so right yeah so the lottery it was bonnie is a really singular character i haven't quite met her before even though i've seen some similarities in fiction um did bonnie arrive in your head fully formed or were you discovering her as you were writing i was definitely uh discovering her as i wrote and the way i wrote the book i just wrote it like from beginning to end chronologically and then later in my mind the book is still that way and the finished product it's been sort of interwoven you know, the past and the present, but in my mind, it's still very much linear um, time-wise. And Wait, so you're saying that you wrote it linear and then started chopping it up? Yes, yeah. Well- <laughs> What was that process like? It was very messy, I gotta say. <laughs> Why didn't it work just linearly? Well, it worked for me, but, um, you know, that's why you have editors. And my editor, she suggested that I sort of go back and forth. And I, I, and I understood her reasoning was, and it was because it was so, I mean, once I got to the, the second part, um, where Bonnie is living as, you know, she's living as the Three's Company characters, like it was very heavy on, <laughs> on minutia that I'm sure only I found interesting um, <laughs> the level like the level of three's company trivia yeah so I think it that just sort of had the pacing maybe just needed to be tweaked and so that's why that happened but but yeah I was really pleased with with how it eventually turned out and um but it's so it's so funny because it's like all these like everybody's reading this version of my book and and in my mind I'm like three or four versions of the book back and um, I don't know it's a it's a really interesting process the whole publishing game so I'm learning as I go. So this is your debut novel. How has it felt to debut? You know, it's been a few months since it came out. How has it felt dealing with the, it, it's now in people's hands, people are reacting to it. Like no one, I don't wanna say like no one cares <laughs> about it like in real life, but it's true. Like you live your life and like, it doesn't really matter that you published a book. I mean, no one reads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, maybe it's just where I live or I'm not sure, but. Um, is it different than you thought it would be? Well, it's just, it's different than how you fantasize publishing a book is. You know, I, I think people, when you fantasize like, oh, the future or like some exciting thing, you conveniently forget that you have to live like every hour of the day. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like these giant spans of time that like no one cares about the book and that's totally fine. Like I'm kind of relieved, honestly. Um, 
so it's just really unreal. I guess maybe I should just say that. Like, it's just really unreal to think that people even care <laughs> that I wrote anything. So I'm just continually surprised and happy that that it's connected with with anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Putting out a book. Okay. Let's talk Three's Company. I admit that I had caught random episodes in my youth. But then when I saw that your book was coming out, I got extremely excited about the plot and decided I need to sit down and watch me some Three's Company. So I watched uh, five or six episodes from season one and then got really into season two and three and then decided I should just read the book now. Um, but I'm totally a fan. I'm converted. Great. That's awesome. Did, is, this, is this actually a fandom of yours? Is it a fandom of Bonnie's? I, I, I would love to know more about putting a sitcom so thoroughly front and center in a novel? Well, to be perfectly honest, I am a huge fan of Three's Company and writing this book was, I never imagined anyone would wanna read this book. I mean, can you imagine pitching this idea to anybody? I mean, what was I thinking? But I was, <laughs> I just had a lot of fun writing it. I mean, I think, and I think it came through. I mean, I just, I love the idea. I've always loved the idea of, of rebuilding the set of the show and, and just treating it like my apartment, right? And, <laughs> I mean, and I've met other fans of, um, of Three's Company on the internet. And there's a guy up in Canada and he is a collector. Um, he, he even has like part of the kitchen counter in the, in this on the set or from the set um yeah so it's just like that idea was always just really exciting and honestly writing the second half of the novel was like that that was almost I don't want to say the reason I wrote it but I mean like why be coy about it I mean obviously I'm a fan of the show so <laughs> yeah I mean, sometimes you just want to have fun as a writer and just write, write into your, <laughs> lean into the obsession. So that's sort of what I did. I absolutely, one of the parts that I really loved was when she's starting to put together the rooms and is either having the realization or just knowing that this was coming, that she would have to like figure out the parts that you don't see, the, right. the, part, yeah. the part where the cameras would be. <laughs> Yeah. And that was something that I, like, I sort of had that realization as I was writing it because I was thinking, well, what is on that fourth wall? Nobody knows. So, um, yeah. And then I felt like that was an opportunity for, you know, kind of exploring the whole concept of, you know, can we disappear? You know, can we transcend our reality? something that puzzled me until you started really getting into it where she said that she was going to spend time as each of the characters living as that character and i didn't know how you were going to accomplish that on the page because it seems like a very visual thing like you would be trying to walk like them or or dress like them and but becoming them it was it ended up working so well was that a particular challenge? Obviously, I thought way too much about this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to admit like the depth of my, my obsession there for a while. Um, yeah, now I'm on medication and like it's, it's sort of has toned down the, um, the obsessive compulsive, like, uh, obsession um with that but but no like I just you know I think just speaking personally I mean the reason I like the show so much is because it sort of came into my life at a time that was tough for me and 
you know, I felt very isolated at the time. I felt very alone. And here was this show and it was just, it felt like as pathetic as it sounds, it, it felt like a second family almost. Like I, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't reach out to the people around me. So I sort of disappeared myself into this show. And so, um, so yes, I spent a lot of time thinking about what is Janet Wood's life like at the arcade florist? And I've always been really um, fascinated by those small domestic details um, in books. You know, have you ever heard of Nicholson Baker? I think that's his name. He mm -hmm. wrote the, the Mezzanine. And it's like he stretches out an hour over this entire book and like, that's just so cool to me that he, um, you know, to think to do that, to sort of glorify these very small everyday details that maybe we, I mean, in waking life, we don't really think about them, but, but when they're frozen in a TV show or like in a piece of fiction or in a photograph, like there's something that's like crystallized about that, that moment, that point in time that you can sort of project onto and into. And um, so that's kind of what I ended up doing as far as imagining what it was like living as the characters. So that was, mm -hmm. that was a really exciting prospect to me to, to have that happen. So, yeah. It, it reads joyfully. Um, definitely. And it's also some of the funniest stuff in the book. I mean, it, it, the book is so funny. Um, and partially it's that you're using these threes company tropes, but also it's like the in-between, it's the stuff in between the tropes that makes, was making me laugh. Like finding the, apart, like the weirdness of not having the right details for the apartment. So you have to get like, there's like some missing floor or there is someone right. who used to live upstairs, but they don't really refer to them in later seasons. So how am I going to like that stuff is it's delicious to me. Um, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> were there any other shows in your life that it could have been like, could you have written the, the friends show or like the, you know, I have never seen one episode of friends. I don't know why I just never, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think I've ever been obsessed with anything like I was with Three's Company. I mean. Has writing the book worked as a sort of exorcism? Like, do you feel like it's like you, you finally, that was the capstone of the Three's Company project? You know, it, <laughs> yeah, I ran that horse until it died. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, kind of, and in a way it's almost like, it's kind of sad in a way because that was always so private. I was always kind of embarrassed about how, how much I liked the show. I mean, cause it is embarrassing to be like an adult person and have such a trivial pastime that really means nothing. And contributes nothing to the world and you know it was just pure joy to watch the show and and research like the artwork and that you know all that kind of stuff on the set and and so now it's public you know now everyone can see how much you know how deep the psychosis went and it's kind of um sad in a way because it's not mine anymore I mean it it is but, but not, mm. you understand what I'm saying? Like it's, it's shared now. Yeah. And, um, it, it hasn't ruined anything for me, but yeah, I think it's definitely, it's just a different flavor now of enjoyment mm. of the show. So. If you were going to curate a threes company night at like a local theater or something you have three episodes to show oh, God. You, can, can you choose three that you'd be like these are the ones 
yes. Okay, I think I would choose the best laid plans from season three. Hmm. The Bake Off, of course, from season three. Um, and I have to pick a Terry episode, and I'm I'm trying to wreck my brain. I don't well put a pin in that. I'll have to come back to that. It's really it's always hard for me to pick pick just one. <laughs> would you, if someone approached you for such a thing, would you would you do something like that? Yeah. <laughs> It seems like that fandom is alive and well. Like there's still people who love the show and want to talk about it for sure. Not just people who want to collect the Formica (laughs) countertop from one of the apartments. Well, I mean, it's such a, it's such a time, like it's, it has this weird duality where the humor, like the farcical humor is timeless. Like we're always going to laugh at, you know the the boss being dragged <laughs> or the landlord being mocked and um we're always gonna laugh at jack tripper falling down but at the same time it's like this super dated show i mean i mean the jokes you know like a lot of people can't be trusted with <laughs> some of the humor in three's company so um so yeah, I feel like there is a lot to talk about and and it's a very polarizing show in a lot of ways, um, which always makes for interesting discussion. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love to have like a, a threes company discussion night. <laughs> I would come. Yeah. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> One facet of this book that I was really drawn to was this sort of depiction of love and and how love enters your life and sort of juxtaposing it against obsession was that cognizant was that something that was on your mind the the difference between love and obsession that's a good question i don't think it was i think bonnie's intensity of feeling sort of informed everything in her life so and her avoidance of that intensity. You know, I think it, um, like she had opportunities to, to go a different way, but you know, like, like her, her involvement with the shields, you know, with, with uh, Jeannie and Jim. I mean, I think it did kind of border on obsession and, Mm -hmm. but I don't think in Bonnie's mind, I don't think she was aware of that. I think that sort of, it's like, well, this is how I feel. So this is just what it is. I mean, if you've only had love defined one way for yourself, um, then that's how you're going to define it until you learn another way. So, um, yeah, so I think that wasn't in my head. Like it was, I can't say I remember trying to to make that happen, but I can definitely see how how it would read that way. Yeah. Often what I feel like I'm doing as I talk to people for this show, uh, talking to writers, is trying to find what made you, how did you get to yourself to sit down and work on this every day? You know, I feel like that that's at the bottom of a lot of the questions. It's just like, what kept you coming back to the page? Well, for me, it was, um, I just started writing in Bonnie's voice and it just kind of carried me through and and, you know, at the time I wrote it, I was watching a lot of uh, Dynasty, like from the 1980s, and which is sort of like a primetime soap. So a lot of, I feel like uh, some of that carried over into the book where it, it got, it has like these elements of just heightened, like super heightened, soapy drama the (laughs) um, the arrival of the mysterious stranger right yeah Yeah. exactly like and um and yes there are many cliches in my book and i feel like that a lot of that was informed by (laughs) by just you know watching so much tv and um uh yeah i so 
but that's yeah that's what brought me back every day it was just I I was just determined like I was I'm gonna do this and I want to see if I can do this and and I did it so I was very proud of myself and I you should be you you you. absolutely (laughs) should be I don't know if I can do it again I'm gonna try though so you don't know whether or not you can write write another novel yeah I don't know I never know I don't think I can write ever again until I until I do it and I can't tell you what gets me there I can't tell you what what the moment is when I finally just sit down and say okay oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now does that bother you um it does like I just I don't it's so strange it's like I I don't understand it when other people like they sort of embody their writerdom you know their writerliness like I mean, I do consider my, I've always written things and I will always continue to write things. Um, but I don't feel like it's a huge part of my, it's not how I would describe myself to people. Like I don't feel nearly as entitled to say, hi, I'm Ashley Hudson. I'm a writer. Like I just. Maybe you should start saying novelist. Would that help? Oh, yeah, there you go. That that sounds a lot better. You're right. (laughs) That's the problem. You're just using the wrong term. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) You brought me a book that is completely off the beaten path as well. Um, I I hadn't heard of it. Lindsay Hill's Sea of Hooks. And it is a totally bizarrely put together novel. What what made you suggest it? I forget how I discovered this book, but somehow I discovered it. And again, it was just one of those books that I read at the right time. I mean, do you ever feel that way where it's like something comes into your life, like a piece of art or fiction or a TV show? Like it comes into your life at just the right moment. And it just sort of embeds itself into your psyche. And um, and I feel like that was what this book was. And I, I sort of started in the publishing world writing flash fiction, which is um, fiction under a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So I was really, um, I really liked how Sea of Hooks was these little chunks, you know, it's like each, it's almost like a, what do I want to say? A collage, but not a collage, like a a tone painting. I, it's, he's a poet. Lindsay Hill is, is a poet. And, um, and I've since read all, you know, all of his poetry collections that I can find. And um, and I really think that the poetry informs his writing, and it's just beautiful. Like his, it's just beautiful writing. I, it's astounding, and I'm very envious and uh, in awe whenever I I read it. And it's the kind of book you can almost not quite because there is like a narrative line in it, but there are these bits you can just open it up and read, like one of these little snippets and I mean, your life has changed. So, um, I mean, that's, I know a lot of people say that, (laughs) but, but I mean it like, I mean, literally, I really do believe that his work is, is transcendent to, to repeat that word. So. It seems like that's something you're searching for is transcendence. Yeah, because I mean, I've had enough of this shitty world. <laughs> Get me the hell out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think that's what we're all looking for. Some just one moment a day. Yeah, just that you can escape. Relief. Yeah. Yeah, I well this I I had in my notes uh pointillism fiction like it's you like Yeah little dots little dots and then you step all the way back and you can see the the nice picture but i i loved it for its accumulation of detail it's this sort of 
to me, it's a perfect exhibit A for like how to create tension without plot necessarily, because there's tension between how you're getting the information and what information might be coming next. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. Yes. And I think that's what what pulls you along. And and I think that tension allows for surprise because it's like, oh, I can't wait to read what comes next. And then he might go off on like a little fable, you know right. what I mean? Or like a, some stream of consciousness, uh, you know, comment on life <laughs> and, and um, which is really incredible. So yeah. it, it was just a really unique reading experience for me. And I think the thing fun. that I would compare it to that people might have read is um, Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. Oh, yeah, I've read that too. Yeah. But I would say that this comes, this has an intensity and a muchness to it. While Department of Speculation is like very spare and like pulled back and seeing how little that can be. Mm -hmm. um, this book seems like how much, how much can I have a paragraph be? What, what, what can I throw in here? Because they're blocks, you know, they're hefty. Right. Even, even though he's going to leave that idea behind after that paragraph, that's like, it re really grabs you. Like even at the end when it's like, how do you even end a book like that? Like I was just, <laughs> I was just pleasantly, I, you know, I was just surprised he found a way um, to, to wrap it up because like you said, if it's, it's like these little points, I mean, how do you, how do you, tie that up and um i'm always interested in how other writers get from point a to point b mm -hmm. you know i mean whether point a is one paragraph and point b is like the first sentence of the next paragraph it's like how do you get from from there to there you know so i think that there was i i it makes so much sense to me that he's a poet because there is a playfulness to how it arrives on the page and how he's playing with the rhythm of like, I'm going to have five one sentence sections in a row and then a really long one. And that, you know, right. Like, I feel like he was playing and even joking via yes. formatting, which I always appreciate. And I, I mean, um, I recommend his poetry collection called Contango. Um, but yes, his poetry has that quality too, where it just, it feels so profound, but it also, like you said, it feels playful. It, it, it feels sort of, um, not winking, but I, yeah, playful is probably the best word for it. It, it is, it is, it's a very playful book, even though it's really quite dark and it's mostly dealing with grief death i mean there's treasure hunting and right. all sorts of other stuff in there know, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like generational trauma <laughs> like there's so much in that book so yeah i i am so glad you brought it into my life because it does seem if it, it feels very um it feels dense it feels like i mean i got it from the library but i think i'm gonna have to get a real copy that I own myself. Not right. that this isn't real, but I have to give it back. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I, I own all of Lindsay Hill's uh, books because of that. So yeah, it's like, because uh, I mean, it's, there are some things in Sea of Hooks and in his other poetry collections, I, you know, it's like, you just want to look at it again. You just want to reread that. And like, just it's so juicy. It's like, oh, I just want to read that line again. And yeah, you have to have it on your shelf. Yeah, I think so. That's a that's a as good a segue into recommendations as we're going to get. So we highly recommend the work of Lindsay Hill. Do you have some more recommendations for the for the good listeners of so many damn books? Well, speaking of poetry, I've been reading um Marie Howell's What the Living Do, um, which were poems she wrote following her brother's death. And 
Oh, Matt Rasmussen, he's another one. He wrote um, Black Aperture, which was a collection of poetry. I think that won some kind of prize, but that was also about his brother's suicide. So um, also very good poetry. Um, and let me think. Oh, there was a book that came out a few years ago called Come Madre. But that's also, I mean, and that's just a tiny book, but it's so weird and it's so like gloriously bizarre. Like it celebrates its own bizarreness. And I would recommend that to anybody. Uh, but I'm trying to think of some other ones. While you're thinking, I will say, um, if you're trying to remember these, you can also just go to so many damn click on this episode and you'll see all the books we mentioned in a list and you can find the recommendations. If you want to have your heart broken, I would recommend it. Boy voices uh from chernobyl uh yeah that's like that was just that you know that book was was really hard to read but like just so compelling you can't put it down um and also human acts by hang kang yeah, H A N K A N G. She she wrote the um, the vegetarian mm -hmm. came out a few years ago, but which was a great book. But Human Acts is just like so dark and so um, you really feel bad about the world after you read it, <laughs> like the state of humankind, like that kind of reading experience. But I've always been uh, like those kinds of books just appeal to me. There's many corners of the human experience to illuminate you know i read this really interesting book a couple years ago it was called the laws of the skies and it, it was by a french writer named um courtois i don't know i'm saying that right, right. his last name was spelled c-o-u-r-t-o-i-s um gregoire courtois yes oh, okay yeah have you read it? No, but I just Googled it to get the time. And it's so okay. the first yeah. thing says Winnie the Pooh meets the Blair Witch Project. Yes. Yeah. If you have a problem with child death, like do not read this book <laughs> because it is literally just like these kids go on a field trip and I'm not spoiling anything because I, this is why I read the book because it was in the description and they sort of just one by one die so um but Sheesh. yeah i know right it's but but it, you know it was just it was very different it was just different from anything i'd read um before that so yeah this sounds yeah. this sounds bizarre you know probably the most disturbing book or like i guess the most yeah disturbing is a good word um have you ever heard of the book hog by Samuel Delaney. I know Samuel Delaney, but I haven't read Hog. Yeah, well, it's it's not an easy and it's not a pleasant reading experience because it's just it's like every filthy thing you can imagine happens in this book and but yet and it was banned at the time. It was banned, but but any, so I don't know if I would recommend that book, <laughs> but again, like, I'm glad I read it. You know, like, I'm glad I read it. So yeah, there are, are many books like that where it's like, I, I gotta be careful who I recommend these books to because, um, yeah. I remember what, one time at the library, somebody asked me, what's your favorite book? Like out of the blue. And mm -hmm. at the time I said, Johnny got his gun by Dalton Trumbo. So she ordered it. And when she read it, she came back and she was just, I don't think she like spoke to me the same after that. And I mean, it's, it's a great book. I, she's like, oh, it's very violent. So um, it's like, yeah, lady, it's World War One. Like what, what do you expect? But uh, anyway, <laughs> so yeah, sometimes you have to be careful 
tailoring your book recommendations. Yes. For your audience. Yeah. You absolutely do. I do have one recommendation, a, a book recommendation that um, if you can listen to it, I highly recommend listening to it. It's called Stories from the Tenants Downstairs by Sadiq Fofana. And it really is, it's about a bunch of people living in the same building, their lives intersect, but you're really getting little short stories about each of them. And the audiobook has a different actor for each short story. And you just get great accents and great personality from the listening experience. There's a, there's a wonderful short story in there that's about those um, subway dancers, the Showtime subway dancers, like that I've never been a fan of them on the subway, but I feel like I would like them now because of the story giving my me insight into like the the thought process of those guys and what it's like to be dancing with your hat out. Oh, okay. See, I I live in like the middle of nowhere, so so you're gonna have to explain the Showtime dancers. Oh, the- oh yeah, they they use the the poles and they, you know. They just show up on a um, subway car with music playing and really do a whole routine, sometimes using the actual poles and seats on the subway if there's people not around. It's pretty wild. I mean, if you can definitely find video of it on YouTube and TikTok and stuff because they do some crazy dancing. I'll have to look that up. That sounds really exciting. (laughs) So... And the other thing I'm going to highly, highly recommend is your novel, One's Company. It really is a singular reading experience that I just think people are, especially if you have an obsession that it, I, I think even if it, you're not obsessed with Three's Company in particular, it sort of sheds light on how you feel about your obsession, whatever it is. Um, especially if it's a television show and it makes me want like now I want like a bunch of novels set around television (laughs) shows like I I would read the whole series of of people taking a television show and messing with it Um, yeah well I really yeah yeah, you've begun a genre maybe I also want to say that uh, you know if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash smdb you can also buy a sticker that just says so many damn books uh, over on the website um those are two things to do and the thing that i like most is when i get new itunes reviews so please review the show on itunes it helps if you've enjoyed this and go buy ashley's book ashley this was absolutely a joy i'm so glad we got to hang out and chat about your book yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I can't wait for you to find your way back to the back to the page. I I, I need another ha- Ashley Hudson, so I'm, I'm novel, so I'm I'm rooting for it. Thank you. Yes, I will. I'm trying. So <laughs> that's all I can do. So that's all any of us can do. Right. True. <laughs>